Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Those are examples of the price you pay when the conversation isn't set up well. And in the first minute, you can and should give your audience a few, very few specific pieces of information that really help them prepare for the rest of the conversation. Why did I become an executive coach? I saw lots of great people fail to get ahead at work, while their much less talented peers blew right past them. That made me furious, but also curious. What were great people getting wrong? It came down to helping them re-examine what drove success and then helping them make critical shifts one hard truth at a time. Feel like you're doing everything you were told, but you're not moving ahead at work nor having the impact you seek? Then welcome to 97% Effective with Michael Winderoff, where we skip feel-good, happy talk and engage experts in pointed conversations about what it really takes to move the needle at work and your career. So if you feel stalled or frustrated, or seek that extra edge as you move to the next level, then look no further. This is the Hard Truths Playbook you never got. Hi, I'm Michael, and you're listening to 97% Effective. Do you want to be clear and concise, but you aren't sure how? Do you manage smart people whose meetings and emails leave everyone confused, dragging down productivity and your team's reputation? Then listen closely to today's guest, Chris Fenning. Chris is a highly sought-after trainer and the award-winning author of The First Minute, How to Start Conversations That Get Results. His mission is simple, make communication less painful. So we have shorter meetings, less frustration, and more business focus. And I don't know who would not want that. Here's also the hard truth. Poor communication is one of the top reasons people don't get promoted. Most communication courses say be concise, but then they don't give you any specifics. Chris shows you how to be concise, step-by-step, drawing from 20,000 conversations, decades of work leading technical and business teams across the world, and training individuals and teams from startups to Fortune 50 companies. Chris. Welcome to 97% Effective. Thank you, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. So let's dive in. Warren Buffett once said that poor communication is like winking in the dark. I absolutely love this analogy. Is there any analogy you like to use that, that summarizes why communication is so critical? There is one. I did have to think of something that was different because I particularly like the example that you gave. So a different analogy that comes up quite a lot is communication is like design. The simpler it is, the better it is. The simpler, the better. Yeah. Let's hold that thought as we go through our conversation today. Okay. Chris, you are literally 
a rocket scientist, UK-trained aerospace engineer, and you had a very highly successful corporate career, many companies, many of those in the States. How and why, or maybe the why and how, does one shift to focusing exclusively now on communication? Ah, yes. So <laughs> thank you. I do like the rocket scientist piece because I use that in some of my training when people say, but isn't this more complicated? Like, no, it's not rocket science. And I'm literally qualified to tell you that this is not rocket science. Simple communication can be simple or clear communication can be simple. So how did I get from one to the other? Well, small steps. All these things happen in small steps. I worked in defense companies. I then moved to telecommunications, web hosting, built up a skill set in project management, program management, and dealing in difficult, complex situations in multinational companies. And that experience then led me to work in a couple of large US companies. One of them was a big healthcare insurer in the States. And that process continually put me on the divide between technical teams and business teams. And that's where some of the more complex communication that I found has been, trying to convert technical topics into business topics, and then trying to communicate across time zones, across cultures, and across industries. So all of that experience led me to a very rich communication set of experiences that I could draw from. But what tipped me over from being in that corporate career to what I do now, which is teaching communication, was a growing frustration in the training that I received. So in executive development programs, in communication training, as you said in the intro, there was a lot of statements about what communication should be. You should be clear and concise, but no one ever really answered the how. And the more I dug into that, the less of an answer I found. Until one day, one of my good friends and colleagues said, but you do this and you keep telling us, like helping us work out how to be clear and concise. Why don't you just teach it? If there's a gap, fill it and then teach it. And that set me on a path over a couple of years to formalizing the methods, looking into it in some more research, and then taking the plunge into going it alone, writing the book, starting training, and so on. Well, the book is full of tons of examples, scripts, the framework. And so it is so useful. One interesting thing about you that we actually can't find on the internet? The one thing that I don't think anybody who knows me now, other than immediate family, is aware of is that when I was 17, I once landed a plane at Dundee International Airport. And you won't find that on the internet. But before I did that, I was learning to fly planes in Scotland. I had a, a scholarship from the Royal Air Force. And through a series of circumstances, uh, a flight plan got changed and I landed a really tiny plane, a Cessna 152, um, at an international airport in between big, big jets. So that was an unusual experience. <laughs> so you sound like you have actually had multiple lives and uh, flying planes, um, writing previous books, many topics we could go into, but let's stay on focus here and, <laughs> and talk about communication. And let me just dive in with an introduction because after you know reading your book, I said, I'm going to use the framework here. I think it's an excellent uh, way to, to kind of present and, and open this podcast. So meeting conversations and email make up 80% of our communication at work. So your focus, Chris, is how we lead those meetings, write those emails so they're highly effective. And so the goal in our discussion here is to concisely share 
how people can do that in practice. So I want to do actually a quick check. Was that opening clear or, or could it have been better? Well, you've set yourself a tough task because not only are you trying to use the framework in the middle of a conversation to set up a question for me, but you're also trying to set this up for your listeners. So you've got a tough thing here trying to balance those, those two pieces. And given that mix, I think you actually did really well. So the context of what we're going to talk about, and you said it in your introduction, is work communication. So that's the topic we're going to talk about, emails and meetings and so on. Your intention is to discuss it. And the key message, which is the third part of the framing method, is that you wanted your listeners to learn good ways to do this concisely. So you had the three pieces, but it's it's quite tough to be completely clear using that framework in the middle of a conversation like this. Mm. I think if I, if I was going to approach, if I was going to give one, one tip, yeah. and it would be if you were approaching me, either you picked up the phone to call me or we bumped into each other, and you wanted to start the conversation about this, then a very slight change would be something like, hey, Chris, I know your focus is on clear communication at work. I'd like to ask you some questions, and I'd like to help my listeners learn practical ways to be clear and concise. That's a really super condensed version of it, and it has the context of clear communication, the intent of asking me questions, and then the same key message that you used. The The reason it's just a little tighter is we wouldn't have had that set up for your audience. So I think you did did well, and it, just making it a little tighter one-to-one is really the only improvement I can suggest. Well, that's a great suggestion because it, it just kind of rolled off you know, your tongue and I'm going to go back and listen to it. I imagine this is also the part of, of, of practicing, but it did feel much more concise. This goes right into the, you know, the subject of your book and your, your intense focus. This fundamental argument that the first minute is the most important part of our, of our work communication. Um, explain that a little bit more. Yes, the first minute is absolutely the most important part. Now, quick caveat that when I say the first minute, I mean when we're starting to talk about the work communication. I don't mean when you're walking into the office and say, hey, hey, Michael, how are you doing? How was the weekend? This doesn't apply to the social interactions. This is purely on a work conversation. So if I wanted to come and talk to you or talk to anybody about work, if I don't get the first minute right, the rest of the conversation can't be as effective. Now, what I mean by this is if you've ever had, as an example, if you've ever been in a conversation and a couple of minutes in, you think, why are you telling me this? Like, what, what, are, we, what are we talking about? Why are you talking to me about this? That's because the conversation wasn't set up clearly. Another example is if you've ever been in a conversation and had an, an, a moment where you thought, oh, we're talking about that. I thought we were talking about this. Sorry, can we start again? Those are examples of the price you pay when the conversation isn't set up well. And in the first minute, you can and should give your audience a few, very few specific pieces of information that really help them prepare for the rest of the conversation. Do a good first minute. Your conversation can be shorter. It will be clearer. There'll be fewer assumptions, fewer backtracks and you're far more likely to get the outcome that you want and need, and the other person is going to have a much more um, easier time understanding the topic. Yeah, and does that mean something you alluded to before, that if there's multiple things we want to talk about, we should be 
you know, selecting one topic only to be focusing on in, in our conversations? No, no. And, and I would, I would very rarely suggest that because it's almost impossible for people to just talk about the one thing, particularly when you get someone's attention, like, oh, brilliant. I've got time with Sarah. I want to talk about this, 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 and this. So you don't need to limit to just one topic, but when you have multiple topics, you do need to set up and frame the conversation so that the other person knows there are multiple topics. And what um, what I could say as an example would be, if we wanted to talk about three things, I could say, hey, hey, Michael, I'd like to talk to you about three things. That's the context. You now know there are three things coming at you. Um, I need a decision on next week's uh, team meeting. I've got an update for you on the contract for the Jefferson account, and I'm looking for your approval for some vacation time. In 15 seconds there, I've given you the three topics, the three things that I need for you to do. We haven't gone into any detail, but you're now aware of roughly what we're going to be talking about, roughly what's expected of you. And then we can have the conversation and you know that there are those three separate pieces. Yeah. So I've got that roadmap in my mind. You've kind of laid out, here's the map that we're going to go down in our conversation. And a okay. map is a great, a great uh, analogy for this and a great comparison because it, it gives you the, the waypoints and the signposts for how you move through the conversation. And it's also a safety net. Mm. If you've ever talked to someone and known you wanted to talk about three things, you got through the first two and then you walk away and think, oh, darn it, there was a, there was a third thing I wanted to talk about. If you start by essentially listing, using this framing method, but listing the three topics and why you want to talk about them, if you forget that there's a third one, the other person might remind you, hey, didn't you also want to talk about this thing you mentioned at the beginning? You've sort of got a safety net for that extra topic. Hmm. For five seconds at the beginning of a conversation, it can save you that frustration of walking away, having not not covered all the topics you want. Yeah. From having logged and most of my clients logged thousands of hours in very frustrating conversations or meetings that weren't going anywhere, having that map would be super, super useful. Um, rather than talk on you know, the abstract, and not that we're talking on the abstract because we are hitting on key points here, I thought it would be useful, Chris, if, if we you know, pulled one example. You have so many in your book, but look at literally a kind of before of poor communication <laughs> and then talk about you know, one or two things that could be done to improve it. In, in effect, you've already done that with my intro, but we can look at one in a work setting here. Um, to illustrate your, what I would say is very powerful, but very simple framework in action. Yeah, absolutely. What I'll do is I'll introduce a conversation as though it's the real start of a conversation. It'll be about 20 seconds long. And then I'm going to ask you some questions about it and we can unpack the intro and convert it into a better one. Oh, this is great. Let's dive in. Okay, so imagine I just come up to you at work and went, uh, "Hey, Michael, um, we've. Uh, I want to talk to you about something that happened last week. There were some new reports that came out. We've got to do some stuff for the IRS. Did you see the latest update that came from Steve? He sent it out last. No, anyway, it doesn't matter about that whether you saw it or not. We've got a bit of a problem. Most of our reports are okay, particularly the big ones, but I think we're going to have to do some work to fix our quarterly updates." Um, the team isn't entirely sure what we're going to do about it. And uh, really, I'm just wondering if you can give me some help in planning what we're going to do next. Okay. You've, you've confused me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there, there were multiple pieces in there. and I'm actually even having a hard time remembering what those pieces were. But <laughs> Okay. 
So that was a, a like a brain dump of, oh, great, I've caught you. I want to talk to you about this thing. It's something's going on in my head. And so the question I've got for you is, what is the, the context? What is the main topic for that particular conversation? To be perfectly honest, I'm not sure. <laughs> There's something that's going wrong and something you want me for. So something's going wrong. I heard some pieces around the IRS and, and so forth, but I'm, I'm really struggling to know where we're supposed to focus or what I'm supposed to help with. Yeah, exactly. So there was the, there are some problems. I might want your help, something with the IRS. Um, am I looking for budget? There's lots of possible interpretations of this. Now, I use this example in training and I actually put the words on the screen mm. and everybody reads it and listens to it. And then usually we get about four or five different possible topics that this could be about. The actual context is there's a problem with the quarterly reports to the IRS. And it was buried sort of right in the middle and surrounded by all sorts of other things. Like, did you get the new, uh, re- the, the new uh, documents from Steve last week? Oh, that doesn't matter. All of those things are red herrings or sidetracks and, and rabbit mm. holes in the conversation that don't tell you straight away what the topic is about. So what I should have done is started with, hey, Michael, I'd, I'd like to talk to you about the quarterly IRS reports. That's the context, right? That's the, that's the context. Okay. That's the overall topic. Now, you know that everything else I'm going to say is about the quarterly IRS reports. That was buried in amongst a quite a jumbled uh, introduction. But if I'd started with one clear sentence of, hey, Michael, I need to talk to you about the quarterly IRS reports, you now know that everything else I say relates to that one thing. The second part of a good framing is letting the other person know what they should do. So in that introduction, what did I need or want or expect you to do with the information I was giving you? Again, there's so much jumbled in there. I'm not sure. (laughs) So I was actually asking for help. It was like second line from the end was, I need your help planning for what we can do. And that came right at the end. And the thing about um, what I call intent in the framework, so the framework is context, intent, and key message. And the thing about intent is we need to know what to do with information to be able to process it properly in our, not only process it properly in our brains, and there's some science behind that, but also to understand and interpret all the rest of the information. So if you've ever got partway through a conversation and thought, why are you, why are you telling me this? And then the person you're speaking to says, oh, I need your help with something. I'm, I'm looking for your expertise on a topic. Suddenly a lot of what they'd say up to that point makes more sense mm. because you have a better understanding of what they need from you. Right. So the intent on this introduction was, I need your help. So instead of that jumbled beginning, I could have said, hey, Michael, I'd like to talk to you about the quarterly IRS reports. I need your help creating a plan. And then the third piece, which I'm now not sure I made it particularly clear in the beginning, which, <laughs> which was how jumbled the intro was. The key message should have been, we're out of compliance with the new regulations and we need to update our system to account for it. Okay, so it's urgent. <laughs> it's quite urgent. Now, it might, there might be some timeframes. You know, maybe mm-hmm. we'll be out of compliance in a few months, but that becomes part of the conversation to really get into those details. But if I'd started the conversation with three lines and said, hey, Michael, I need to talk to you about the quarterly IRS reports. I need your help to come up with a plan because we're out of compliance, we need to update one of our systems. That tells you what the conversation is going to be about. 
And it's not just everything that's coming out in my head. It's not the backstory. It's not why it's important. It's just a setup to give you those three key pieces. And then we can have the rest of the conversation. Right. So it's going to be a longer discussion focusing in that area around that intent so we can resolve this because we're out of compliance. Yeah. And, and I'm having this visual. And now you've just broken it down very simply in very short time. This is like 10, 20 seconds that you're framing that up at the beginning. Yes. Now it takes practice. You've been listening to 97% Effective with your host, executive coach, Michael Winderoff. If this interview is making you think, make sure to share it with a friend. Now, back to our interview. These methods are simple, but what we're trying to do is form a habit. And that habit involves cutting out backstory, cutting out history, cutting out the, the natural way that we think, which is lots of interconnected ideas firing off and, oh, there's this thing and then something else connects to that and that's interesting. Oh, no, now I'll come back to my original point. That's how our brains think. They're a bit messy, great at creating ideas, not so great at organizing them. So these frameworks help build a habit and it takes time. But all it takes, I say, but, like it's a really easy thing, it takes a little preparation just before you start talking, to think about what those one-sentence items are, even as few as three to five words, for each of those three elements. Mm -hmm. And if you can build that habit, the beginning of your communication will be so much clearer because your audience will always know what is the topic, why are you talking to me, and what is the headline for that message. So this is bringing back my journalism past where we used to have this expression, you know, you were burying the lead, yes. right? Your lead of what the core idea, what you wanted to communicate to people should be at the top, not somewhere even at the end of your article. Absolutely. It's a fantastic description because the key message is really the headline for what you're going to say. And the introduction, if you use framing, is like reading the first few lines of a news article. Imagine, uh, anyone who's listening to this, imagine you pick up a newspaper or a magazine and you start reading uh, an article or a story on paragraph seven. It's going to take you a few paragraphs to work out what the story's about. It'll possibly take you to the end of the story to get the whole sense of what was trying to be conveyed. And all the time, you're going to be trying to piece these things together. Whereas if you start at the beginning where there is a headline and a two or three sentence summary introduction, that sets the scene for the whole story. And then everything else that you read is understood, evaluated, and analyzed against that introduction. So the journalism comparison is, is really good. Is there anything majorly different about leading a meeting or emails? Or would that framework still apply or would it be tweaked in some way? It, there are a couple of tweaks. So emails almost it use the same framework. The context and intent can go in the subject line. Hey, I want to talk to you about IRS quarterly reports. Need your help. That's a clear subject line that uses the context and the intent for the rest of the message. And then you repeat it in the first couple of lines of your email. So the method is, is almost exactly the same for, uh, for emails. For meetings, there's a slight difference in that you still have the context, which is the topic, and the intent is really the meeting purpose. And then instead of a key message, write the meeting output. 
So the three things for a meeting is really what's your topic, your purpose, and your output. Mm-hmm. And if you have those three things in the invitation, and it's so important to have them in the meeting invitation, not only do you prepare everyone else for the meeting, you've also pre-written your intro for the meeting itself. You can literally just read what you've written in the introduction. Say, hey, we're here to talk about this topic. The purpose is to evaluate 10 different ideas to solve this particular problem. And the meeting output will be our preferred three options to take to the next stage. Yeah. So you get two things at once. One is people know why they're coming to the meeting or why should they be at the meeting? And then you're reinforcing that setting up what we're going to talk about. Yes. Yes. And please, please don't send blank invites. It's it's awful. <laughs> don't do it. How do sometimes people misconstrue concise or how should we be thinking about what does concise mean? Ah, so misconstruing it, some of the, I'm trying to think of a nice way to say this because some of the people listening might <laughs> may have previously worked with me. Um, some people reinterpret concise as blunt. Mm. So strip out all the nice and the strip out all the human and just get really robotic, do this, dah, dah, boom, boom, boom. That's not what concise means in this in this sense. It's and it's not about compressing a 30-minute message into a minute and talking really quickly and, and, and trying to jam as much as possible into a short time. That's not what concise means. Concise means the, sh- the shortest and simplest way to get your key message across. Shortest and simplest way to get so that. Some advice. people go directly to the blunt, and that's <laughs> that's a bit of a problem. Because you you are based in the Netherlands now. I saw that. And Netherlands is famous for being direct, but here we're talking yeah. about the concise versus a, a direct blunt yes. approach. And what what that means is stripping out the unnecessary stuff. So in the in the that fairly jumbled introduction I gave a few minutes ago as an example. I think I started talking about some regulations that Steve had sent out. And then I asked a question, did you see them? Oh, it doesn't matter. All of those things are ancillary to the main point. They they don't directly relate to the thing I want to talk to you about. And you also don't need it. Most of the time when people talk to us, we don't care about everything that led up to that point. We care about what do you need from me now going forwards? If I'm interested in the history, I'll ask. But if you lead me through everything you've done up to this point, I'm I'm going to be bored or I'm going to check out or my brain power is going to be focused on identifying the problems that led up to this point. Whereas really you want my brain power on helping solve it or fix the solution or come up with a next step. So we focus too much on the history and the past. And what we should do is compress all of that into uh, in, into the second method that we have, I mean, I talked about the second method in the first minute is to summarize using goal, problem, and solution. GPS. And you can make make things concise using goal, problem, solution. Yeah, yeah. Say, say a little bit about that because I know we were focusing on the first fifteen seconds. This is the other forty-five. What is that GPS in in a nutshell? All right. So GPS is the second part of the navigation and the waypoints through your conversation. Almost everything at work that because work is transactional. We want people to do things. We want to do things with people. We're trying to support others. Work is transactional, and all of our work is based around trying to achieve a goal. When we know what the point on the horizon we're trying to get to is, if everybody understands that, it's very clear where what a topic is, where the conversation is going. So we'd say, if I wanted to describe a problem to you and I need your help solving a particular problem, I shouldn't start by talking about the problem because you don't have any broader context. 
I should start by saying, I'm trying to achieve this. The problem that I'm trying to solve, the problem that's standing between me and achieving that is this particular problem. And the solution is, and then we end up having a solution discussion, either I don't have one, I need your help, or I've got a solution and we're we're, we're building it and developing it, or we've solved it and let me tell you what happened. So you can summarize anything using goal, problem, solution, because it tells the whole story of your topic in just three lines. Just three lines, and that's the other 45 seconds, and that takes you to the minute opening. So people are very clear on what the context is, where we're going, and what we're trying to do in the rest yes. of that meeting. Would it help if I gave an example? Yeah, that would be, that would be great. All right. So I, was, I used to live, you mentioned I've worked in the States. I lived in Virginia, very near to where a bunch of NASA work was going on. And at a, at a barbecue on a weekend, there were a couple of my, my engineer friends who, one of their favorite topics was the International Space Station. And at the time, I think the federal government was determining how the budget for the International Space Station should be and whether they should cut it and send people to the moon and so on. These two guys were talking on this topic. It's one of their favorite things to talk about. Well, a healthcare exec came along and said, oh, what are you talking about? Not realizing his error, got sucked into this conversation. These two guys talked for about 20 minutes, talking about why the, the space station should be funded, why it's so expensive, what we get from it. And they spent a lot of time answering just one question, which was, why should we fund it? And after about 20 minutes, I think it was Doug, uh, Doug, the, the, the healthcare exec, said, all right, so let me get this straight. I've, you guys seem to know a lot about this, and you've given me a lot of info, but I think what you're telling me is we want to fund the space station because we learn a lot of important science from it. But the problem is, is it's really expensive to run because people can die in space and it's very far away. And so that costs a lot. But the solution to getting good science and keeping people alive is funding the space station. So the goal is get a lot of science. The problem is it's hard to keep people alive in space. And the solution is we should fund the space station to keep getting the science. These two engineers looked like a little crestfallen. They said, wow, it's more complicated than that. But yes. And so he'd taken 20 minutes and boiled it down into three lines. And it, it wasn't all the detail, but it was the whole premise of their argument was condensed into just three lines. And everyone else who was standing around suddenly went, oh, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I think we should keep funding it. Is there a way, it, it does feel like when you're an expert or you are so immersed in a topic, it's very hard to pull yourself out and, and, and kind of summarize. Is it? Is there like a simple technique to kind of pull yourself out? I think I call that like the curse of knowledge that you, you get so deep in something. Is there a way to do that easily? I haven't found it yet. <laughs> the, the, not, not in terms of the wave the magic wand and suddenly it doesn't take any effort. The, the solution is to use something like goal, problem, solution. Yeah. And there's, there's others. There's a McKinsey method called uh, context. Uh, uh, not that, uh, situation complication resolution is the McKinsey method. There are different small frameworks. And the way to make it easier is to use the framework and hold on to it and then prepare a little bit before your conversation. This is what I really like about you know, your book with the examples and the frameworks. It's like you want to have this book as a manual sitting on the side or the post-it <laughs> right, of that framework there that reminds you just drop things into this framework, 
practice it a little bit beforehand. And by doing it multiple times, you're going to build that, like you said, the habit. Yes, you'll build the habit. And there is there are a couple of things that can make it easier. So when when I was still working with large teams, I ran, ran an IT department of 100 plus people. And when, when this book came out, some of my colleagues l- contacted me and laughed because they said, you say these things when you talk, you write them in your emails. So if I'm trying to communicate a complex topic, if I'm trying to organize my thoughts, I will literally say, our goal is this. The problem is da-da-da. And the solution I'd like to follow is X, Y, and Z. And I would use the words as as guide signposts and waypoints for myself to help structure and organize the conversation. But everyone else had a chuckle at that. I said, you you literally talk like this. Um, And that was a nice confirmation that it wasn't, maybe it's just me thinking this, but it wasn't weird. It was more helpful for everyone else because they knew what was coming next as well. Yeah. Yeah, so we've covered two before, after examples. You work globally, I do as well. And of course, when you start talking globally and communication, language and culture pops up. Now, I noticed you're selling a lot of books in Germany. There's a Chinese version of the book coming out because it's become very popular. Are there differences that, that pop up because of cultures or languages? Yes. Yeah. And this is hands down the most common question that comes up in the training. The moment that made me realize this really was cross-cultural was when my American colleague said, but what about when we're talking to people in Mumbai? And my Mumbai colleague said, but what about when we're talking to people in America? They both fundamentally agreed with the principles, but weren't sure that the other side was going to. So that showed me that the method, it was one example, but there have been others, but that showed that the concepts, the framework works. Here's where it's different. The words that we use, the directness or the nuances will vary by culture. And um, there's a fantastic book by Erin Mayer called The Culture Map. And she and her team have researched this and a ton of truly academic research on the different communication and working styles across cultures. Mm -hmm. And while we all need the same information, we need to know what the topic is, why you're talking to me about it, what you expect me to do and when. Those things don't change across cultures, but the directness does. You mentioned the Netherlands earlier. Someone in the Netherlands might say, I need you to do this by end of day. In a, in a more nuanced communication culture, they might say, I appreciate your help with this. It is important. Mm. And that might be interpreted as, I need it by end of day. Mm. So the way that you deliver your message will be culturally specific, but the content still needs to be topic, the intent, the key message, the timeframes. Those pieces still need to be there. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. And I think her resource and book is excellent on kind of the intercultural component. Let me, let me ask you too, can these interventions really quickly change those impressions of people? I mean, you've, you've worked with a lot of people at this point. So can, just, can they change them? Yeah, absolutely. Quickly is always going to be relative. There's, there's some formal research on first impressions and how to turn those around. And, and I believe, if I remember this correctly, that it takes seven or eight consistent good impressions to overturn that first bad impression. Now, that can sound like a lot, 
But the good news is if, if you chat to someone once a day, every day, a week later, you might have overturned that bad impression. So it certainly is possible. And there are a couple of other reasons why I say it's absolutely possible to turn this around. One is through your careers, you're going to meet a lot of new people. Those are all new first impressions. So if you make the effort, put if, if you find ways to incrementally improve your communication, every one of those new interactions will start off with a better first impression. That could be new colleagues, change job, new clients, and so on. Lots of new chances to make first impressions. And the last point is, if, you've, if you know someone who is historically bad in running their meetings, imagine you went to one of their meetings and it was clearly communicated and well-organized. You'd leave knowing something was different. You might not immediately change your impression of that person and think, now they're, they're the standard bearer for good communication. But the difference can be so startling that you would notice. And if you can consistently improve your communication or raise it to a higher level, people will notice mm. and it will make, a, will make a difference. It's never too late. Yeah. Never too late. And I, and I want to ask this, this, this last question before we get to a wrap up here. Um, a lot of the work I do is, is, is helping clients kind of manage up and, and power dynamics that go to work. And so, you know, I actually had a client the other day who was saying, you know, my boss is actually a terrible communicator. You know, you might piss off the boss saying they're a poor communicator and they need help. So maybe I'm asking this a little bit tongue in cheek, but in a serious way of like, how would you get, you know, yeah. suggest that they communicate <laughs> to their boss when there's these power dynamic nuances at work? Any, any yeah. suggestions there? Can I take a pass on this question? <laughs> no, no, just kidding. It's, it is a really tough, really tough question. And I haven't been asked it in this way before. So how do you tell your boss that they need to improve their communication, recommend things, but without seeming rude? I could fall back on the, well, it depends on your culture, so I can't give you advice, but I won't cop out. <laughs> I'll give it a go. I've got a couple of ideas. Both of them are really based on making it about you and not about them. You could say something like, I've been struggling to be clear and concise, and I found a great resource. It's really helped me. I thought you might be interested to see it. Would you like to? So it's the, hey, I found a way to improve. Would you be interested in learning what I found out? So you're indirectly saying, <clears throat> can mm. you please read this? Yeah, I like that. You could take that a step further and say, I just learned a way to start conversations that works for me. It really makes things clearer for me. Can I share the method with you? Because I think it would help me work more effectively in the way we communicate. Can I send you this info? So you're giving them a tool that says, I will work better if you communicate with me in this way. Can we try it? Mm. And then you, <laughs> I guess the last one is... Both of those require open discussion and a level of comfort. Yeah. If you're really nervous, this book makes a great secret Santa gift at the holiday times, or you could do what my wife did and just leave it on her boss's desk, <laughs> which, which was so subtle because he kind of recognized the name, but, <laughs> but she just left it on his desk <laughs> when he wasn't there. Wearing so, a glove so you're not leaving any DNA fingerprints on yeah, it as well. So. No DNA, but the same last name. <laughs> So those are some ways to do it. Make it about something that can help you as an individual. And then hopefully your boss will go, oh, this is useful. I can do this more. Yeah. And beyond that, secret center or stage an intervention. But yeah. hopefully you can have a good enough conversation with your line managers about 
the need for video communication and some ways that they can help you understand things a little better. Yeah. Poor communication is such a drag on organizational effectiveness. And part of the reason bringing that up is that, you know, everyone can get better at this wherever you sit in the organization, particularly if you're in a leadership role or communicating across the organization to those who maybe see things from a different perspective. Chris, this has been extremely useful, but I do want to end with my question, which is what didn't I ask here that I should have? And since I'm sure it's a good question and you've got a concise answer, please go ahead and answer it. This will be the one answer that goes on for 30 minutes and you you can't just say goodbye and the music will fade out. (laughs) So you actually alluded to it in your closing comment before about this is useful for CEOs and people in different positions. The question that I think people should ask is, does this apply to my job, my level, my industry, or is it specific to just one area or one level? And the answer is, yes, it is relevant to everyone. And I've worked from call center answering the phones up to CEOs of Fortune 30 multinationals, and everybody benefits when communicating clearly. That's the generic statement. But everybody has found it useful to communicate with and be communicated with these methods. So at any level, any industry, it's really going to be a useful thing. And the earlier you learn it, the more you can carry it through the rest of your career. Yeah. So Chris... Your book, The First Minute, How to Start Conversations That Get Results. What is the best way for people to learn more about you or get in touch with you? Yes. So my social hangout is LinkedIn. So you can connect with me there. Come to my website, www.chrisfenning.com. And there is, as you mentioned earlier, a ton of resources. Uh, You can find out a lot about the uh, training that I offer for individuals, teams, and so on. So lots of information there. And probably the best giveaway that I give is on that site as well. If you go to the site, you can get a free copy of the workbook that goes with the first minute. And it's not just blank pages. It actually walks you through the methods, takes you through practice assessments and exercises and so on. It's normally $30, but the digital version is free on my site if you'd like to go down and get it. Yeah. Awesome. And it is very much about the how practical scripts in there great resource. Chris, thank you. Thanks for listening to 97% Effective, where we skip happy talk and help you break through and ascend one hard truth at a time. Help others discover this show. Leave a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you like what you heard, you can get free resources, including the first chapters of Michael's book, Get promoted on his website, www.changwinderoth.com. That's www.changwinderoth.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line 
prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. 